0: Friday, everybody. Welcome to the first Friday Fun Shimcast stream that we have had in quite a while here. Things have been insanely busy. I do two streams every single week. I try to average three a week. And so sometimes that ends up being two streams one week and four streams the next week. But this week, we went with the standard three. And for those of you who are members of the locals community... After this stream is over in about an hour, you will be able to attend the fan Q&A where y'all can watch, ask questions. Uh, It's totally free to watch the fan Q&A. You just have to be in the locals community. If you want to ask a question, you do have to be a paying member, but sometimes people just like to chill on the sidelines. Watch. If that's you, come on, join us. We'd love to have you there. A couple news stories uh, to go over today some disturbing stuff, some less disturbing stuff. We got the black pills. We got the white pills. I'm giving you all everything you want. As per usual, I'm your dealer here, and I have not let you down yet. Don't worry. I don't intend to tonight, but I'm kind of thinking about this whole Friday fun stream thing, and I'm wondering if every now and again, if we should just try to do this the way a more traditional live stream does, you know, a lot of these streamers kind of sit back, they review the internet, they play video games, and then they riff on things, I pretty much just do a straight political talk show. If you guys would ever like to see me experiment with that on one of the Friday fun streams and just kind of review videos, keep it low key, not necessarily do a standard political presentation on the events of the past week, we can give that a shot. We could definitely give that a shot. Let me know. Vote on that in chat right now, and maybe I'll make a decision about that. Uh, Regardless, this is probably, as I mentioned, going to be like a little more... Low key than the Monday or the the Tuesday and Thursday streams, and uh, I hope y'all prepare your questions. By the way, for the the fan Q and A stream afterwards, because I know some of y'all are in the chat now who are members of the locals community. In fact, I think most people in the chat right now um, are. So, our first story, uh, not too light of one, but uh, a little bit of a gotcha, you know. Uh, we caught them red-handed. What a shock. They, uh, they're they performing invasive procedures in giving unnecessary medical interventions to minors with respect to transgender medicine. Uh, the thing that they have constantly claimed isn't happening, while it's simultaneously uh, being a good thing that it's happening, as it turns out, is happening. <sighs> so... Duke health, the healthcare system affiliated with Duke university has been denying that it aids in transitioning toddlers, even though, uh, one of their affiliates. And in fact, the person who runs their gender clinic said in 2016, that, that, uh, he transgenders patients who are as young as two years old, they're denying that this happens. Now, while they're saying they don't perform any surgeries on minors, that doesn't mean they're not transitioning them. This is a a really important uh, distinction because transitioning occurs in in several different phases, right? And it's not as if the moment a kid says, I feel like I'm a member of the opposite sex, or I like uh, pink rather than blue, whatever it might be, It's not as if at that moment they're transitioned, and no one on the right is arguing that that's the case, by the way. However, what happens is they will socially transition them, and they will try to sort of groom them into seeing themselves as a member of the opposite sex when they in fact are not, and then they will start doing things like giving them puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones, and then the surgeries take place later. One of the entire points of giving puberty blockers and these cross-sex hormones is so that the child does not develop as their body is intended to develop by nature, that they don't undergo the biological processes built into them so that they can grow into an adult. Uh, It's literally done with the express intention of helping that person to present more easily as a member of the opposite sex and to lead to theoretically, a greater level of success with the more invasive medical interventions that come along uh, later. So when they say they're not transitioning minors, that's not true. In fact, the entire conversation around transgenderism, I would say over the last year or so, has been a conversation pretty clearly uh, about the left explicitly defending a right to transition minors, all the while denying that they're doing it. This is the sleight of hand. They'll say, Well, we're not doing mastectomies or penile inversions to minors, which isn't true, by the way. In a number of states, it actually is happening to minors, but I digress. On a wide scale, the administration of puberty blockers or the administering of puberty blockers uh, is occurring, and minors are the only people who go through puberty, right? So by definition, the only people who are receiving that particular medical treatment in order to transition are minors. So they can't claim that they're they're not doing this stuff to minors. So I'm going to keep reading this article from, from the Daily Caller here. Duke repeatedly scrubbed its website of mentions of a doctor who once said he transitions kids as young as two years old. Education First Alliance reported that Dr. Deanna Adkins, who runs Duke's Health Gender Clinic, said in a 2016 interview that he transgenders patients as young as two years old. Duke Health has called reports about hospitals transitioning co- toddlers misinformation and stated that care decisions are made by patients, families and their providers and are both age appropriate and adherent to national and international guidelines. All right. There's there's quite a few things to say to that. Whenever the left is trying to defend something that's absolutely heinous and despicable, ranging from slaughtering an unborn child up until the final moment of your pregnancy or at the final moment of pregnancy to mutilating a child's body, what they fall back on is we're doing this thing very carefully and for a very good reason, which has been Thoroughly investigated and examined by competent medical authorities, because of course, being a competent medical authority means you're incapable of doing anything immoral. And it means that all of your actions are beyond reproach, even if the medical data available, which would suggest that you're taking a proper course of action, is extremely scarce and unbelievably thin where it does exist. You're beyond any criticism, right? So when it comes to abortion at the ninth month well people are only doing this because they have absolutely no other possible option and this is a decision that needs to be left between you know women and and their doctors and you know it's not as if women wake up in the morning and just decide they want to kill their unborn child for no reason we have to trust that there are good reasons to make this decision okay so notice that there's no attempt to even defend this indefensible moral action or immoral action. What they do when they know they can't defend something really horrible and disgusting is they say, yes, this thing is horrible and disgusting. Of course, no one loves it. No one's thrilled about it. But we have to allow it in these special circumstances because who are we to tell other people what they're allowed to do and how could you as an empathetic individual tell this person who believes this is the right course of action that they can't take it. Okay. This is not how we answer any other moral question. Okay. When when we say murdering a toddler is wrong, no one says, well, people don't just wake up one morning and decide they want to murder a toddler. They spend quite a lot of time agonizing over the financial status of their home and trying to find other people to adopt that child and seeking out other potential alternatives. And then when they just don't think there's anything else they could possibly do, and this is their only option, then they will make the incredibly uh, personal decision of murdering that toddler. But it's not like they just woke up one morning and decided to do it for no reason. So you have to be comfortable living in a society where this happens and there's no legal prohibition against it okay so setting aside that that's a ridiculous claim that no one could make you have no way of knowing if any and every person in that situation is only in that situation because of external factors they could do nothing to attempt to uh prevent it's impossible to say that not a single person who does this is a psychopath when this is indeed by the way psychopathic behavior And something that could only be expected of someone who's entirely brainwashed into thinking this horrible thing is acceptable by someone who is genuinely psychopathic and wants to make a quick buck off of slaughtering an unborn child. But, but, but it doesn't matter because some things that are awful and evil are awful and evil regardless of how much you try to push this back in the direction of being something that we just need to allow individuals to decide upon rather than legal authorities. And so we see that with uh, abortion here. These are healthcare decisions made by patients and families. They're, They're age appropriate. They adhere to national guidelines. Okay. Yes. And our argument is insofar as those adhere to national guidelines, those national guidelines are wrong, literally our entire position. So that doesn't really appeal to anybody. But it sounds nice, and it sounds like a, a caring, thoughtful thing to say, even though at bottom, what they're arguing for is to destroy functioning anatomy and interrupt healthy biological processes, which will inevitably drastically lower the quality of life for whoever undergoes that procedure, and for which we essentially have absolutely no research to suggest there's any kind of medical benefit even within the realm of psychological help, which is always what they they lean upon, by the way, all right. When it comes to gender transitions, when it comes to a sex change, there's not even an attempt to argue that this is something that results in positive outcomes for physical health. All right, you have to take these antibiotics for the rest of your life. The hormones that you're on have all sorts of horrible side effects that can shorten a person's lifespan and lower their quality of life. Uh, A man who has this fake vagina made, who has this wound in place of their penis, has to constantly dilate that so it doesn't heal up. It's really grotesque and horrifying, and there's no possible way to argue that it's an improvement to physical health. So they make the argument that it's necessary for mental health, because if someone doesn't undergo these procedures, they're going to end up killing themselves. Okay, well, they've been doing this in the Netherlands for longer than they've been doing it anywhere else, and they have determined that there is no effect, or at the very least, no decrease on suicidality among those who undergo these gender transitions, these sex change procedures. So even if, even if they could make the argument that this does decrease a person's chances of committing suicide, that would not make it a good or healthy thing to do to another person. But of course it doesn't decrease the possibility that they're going to end their own life. That in and of itself, which was by itself a very flimsy argument, and yet the only argument they had, is entirely disprovable based on the data that's coming from countries that have been doing this for far longer than the United States has. So they're, they're holding an empty sack there. They actually, they, they don't have a the ghost of a point, to quote Christopher Hitchens. They, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There has there's not been a single large-scale controlled randomized trial for puberty blockers. So administering that kind of a, a treatment, preventing a, a young person from going through uh, puberty by using these puberty blockers. And by the way, when I said there's, no, there's been no um, controlled trials for puberty blockers, I'm referring specifically to puberty blockers as a, a method of treating gender dysphoria. But there's been absolutely no studies to indicate that that's a a safe or acceptable thing to do, uh, but they still plow forward with it. Why? Well, because they're not interested in data, right? Sexual perversion blinds people. And this is a topic which is confusing for people because when I say this, there are many people who think that what I'm saying is every person involved at every step of the way of mutilating a minor in this way, is someone who's getting off on that mutilation. That's not the case. Many of them are getting off on it. We can't understate that. When you have an adult pervert who's pushing a minor towards mutilating their body, yeah, we absolutely can't write off that this is a, a sick sexual thrill for that disgusting pervert. Okay. However, there are people within the healthcare system or family members, or even individuals at the the educational facility that first identified the dysphoria on some occasions, who aren't necessarily pushing the kid along this path for their own sexual gratification, but who merely have given in to their own sexual versions in other ways, And so who therefore don't feel they have a leg to stand on in criticizing anyone else's perverse behavior or suggesting more importantly, that there's a way that human sexuality is supposed to be right. So to give an example, let's imagine you have somebody who, you know, is using artificial contraceptives, having sex outside of marriage, consuming pornographic material. That's not so unthinkable or uncommon in this culture. In fact, it's arguable that that's what you're told to do in this culture. Okay? Well, this is a person who's living outside the bounds of the purposes of human sexuality. And so, even though they themselves might not get you know a sexual thrill by preying upon people who are struggling with gender dysphoria by trying to convince them to you know adopt like this autogynephilic lifestyle, even if that person, and again, as I've expressed, there are a lot of those people. But even if they're not that person, they're just someone who can't get themselves to admit that it's wrong to mutilate someone's body in that way because then that opens the door for saying human sexuality has a purpose. And once that door is open now, uh, they have to examine their own lifestyle choices. So w- once my point is, once the floodgates open, it, it's pretty impossible to stop this stuff because things, they, they become more perverse over time, and as more people buy into perversions, even ones that we see as less serious or harmful, they feel less empowered to speak out against far more disgusting and horrifying perversions, even when those perversions are inflicted upon children. Because A, they don't want to open the door to traditional sexual morality, uh, and B, because without the traditional sexual morality, which they reject. They actually don't have a framework upon which they can criticize any sexual behavior because they're not able to say sexuality has a purpose and here's how that behavior violates that purpose. They're only able to say on an intuitive level, that freaks me out. And fair enough. It's completely legitimate to be freaked out by all of this stuff on an intuitive level. But if you don't have like the philosophical and moral underpinnings of a traditional sexual worldview, it becomes very difficult to argue against them. We're going to check, check, cater, cater, gator. Catherine says we aren't doing the horrible stuff and it's good that we are. Amen. Right. Celebration paradox. We see it time and time again. Um, uh, this is why after the Durham report came out, never since it came out, I've just been bracing myself for the, it was a coup and here's why that's a good thing. Op-ed, uh, uh, Mary Perry, uh, says even fully mature women can become sterile from going on Lupron. Interesting. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to look into that, but that's, I mean, look, these hormones screw with your body, right? Uh, Terry Lynn says they don't want to look like tight-laced fuddy-duddies. That's also true. It's remarkable. The, the kinds of monstrous crimes against children people are willing to tolerate simply so that nobody compares them to the warden from Shawshank or the pastor from Footloose or any other conservative Christian hypocrite stereotype that they've seen in popular media. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, people are are really enslaved by the the popular culture. Very sad. Uh, Stanley J says transitioning is a conspiracy to reduce birth rates of a majority. Um, interesting. I, so my thing with transitioning in, in, in you know birth rates is people argue, and Tim makes this argument a lot, that the purpose of these medical transitions is to reduce fertility. In some sense, I think that's true uh, just in the sense that, yes, the demonic hates human procreation. And so those who are operating based on these practices are unwitting servants of the devil, and they're going to do his bidding, and his bidding is always to prevent the creation of new human life. I don't think those at the top are saying uh, transitions are good because we want to reduce the number of people procreating, and I, I think they've pretty effectively reduced the number of people procreating just with artificial contraceptives on on their own and the the legalization and normalization of those drugs. But at the end of the day, I believe there's a a desire to promote perversion simply for the sake of promoting perversion because it's not as if we're ruled by people living chastity who are just using this kind of sexual licentiousness as a tool to keep people complacent. They do believe in the cause of sexual revolution. It just happens to be very convenient that that very cause and the moral degradation it inflicts upon the population makes it very easily for them to sustain their own power. I've said this a dozen times in the past couple of weeks, but rulers historically were always aware of the fact that you needed bread and circus uh, to placate people. I mean, if they had the ability to broadcast custom pornography searches to every single individual citizen's home they would have been elated absolutely beside themselves with the degree of social control that they would be able to procure as a result of that because especially with pornography it's not just as if it's an incredibly insidious form of entertainment that it keeps people even more complacent than other forms of entertainment do just on the basis of how intense the desire to consume it becomes. But because it attacks a person's sexuality directly, it rewires them away from preferring their dignity over short-term gain, which means any political authority that wants to strip you of the right or responsibility to do something that's in line with your state in life or your identity as a a real individual trying to improve the world. And when I say as a real individual trying to improve the world, what I mean is your actual identity in the real world rather than some some phony identity that makes you feel good about yourself, right? When, When their commands interfere with authentic expressions of dignity, well... You're going to go along with their, what they're saying are going to be more likely to go along with what they're saying because you've habituated yourself through pornographic content to repeatedly choose total indignity, like to just totally degrade yourself. And so getting back to the, the issue of the, the transitioning minors, I, I really think people are so blinded by sexual perversion that they have no understanding what the purpose of sexuality is. They don't know what a man is. They don't know what a woman is. And so they, they don't know how to push back against this stuff. Mary says they care too much for what others think. We all could care too much for what others think. That no it's it's true. I mean, there are people who literally sacrifice their family lineage at the altar of human respect. Yes. I will place my child on puberty blockers that will make them infertile for the rest of their life and greatly reduce their quality of life and reduce their lifespan, increase the probability that they're going to end up taking their own life, remove their ability to procreate, remove their ability to have normal, healthy sexual relationships without a tremendous amount of baggage, or for them to have healthy sexual relations if they happen to detransition without an incredible uh, amount of baggage because... I don't want people to think I'm a bad person for not participating in the mutilation of my own child. It's sick. Mary says the demonic hate team and flourishing. None of these people uh, are going to flourish. It's true. Not, not unless they turn away from that path. And this is what people don't realize, right? Everyone is comfortable with some someone, you know, or, or at least I should say many conservatives are comfortable with a person being Christian so long as they don't bring that outlook into their political worldview too explicitly. But look, the reality is if you do believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in God, if you believe in what the scriptures tell us and what we know based on, you know, church tradition throughout history and teaching, demons are real, right? Disembodied spirits are real and disembodied isn't even the right word, I suppose, because demons never had bodies. So they were not like disembodied. They're just not embodied spirits. And we do know, that they can influence human passions and we do know that they hate human life and i will say i find it very interesting that the people who operate on the basis of their own feelings rather than doing a logical examination of their positions almost always end up supporting horrifically demonic stuff like abortion and sterilizing children mutilating their bodies uh, the, the flourishing of the pornography industry. It's, it's a bit curious. Uh, we have some mentions in chat. Um, Dual Helix mentions uh, sexual mutilation being a, a tribal issue historically. Yeah, I mean, sexual mutilation is a, a massive problem, and this has been something that has plagued mankind uh, Likely for all of history, I know that in many primitive cultures today, it still takes place, and by by primitive cultures, I am including our own here in the West today because we've degraded ourselves so much. Now, I remember several years ago, conservatives were spending a lot of time talking about radical Islam. And one thing we would point out is that female genital mutilation is a massive problem that we can't overlook and we can't ignore the relationship between FGM and Islam. And the response from left-wing individuals is the same response you always get from them when you're trying to critique an idea or set of ideas that they associate with a group of people that they prefer, which was not all of them do that, which is true, which is obviously true, right? Not all Muslims think that female genital mutilation is acceptable. Of course not. Of course not. The vast majority of progressives believe that general mutilation is is totally socially acceptable. And I know what the response from lefties to hearing that kind of statement is going to be, by the way. It's going to be, well, there's a difference between a child choosing to undergo these medical interventions that will end up resulting in their anatomy being mutilated and a child in the third world being forced into something like this. Well, firstly... Kids can't consent regardless, but also every single culture that practices child genital mutilation grooms the children into thinking it's something they should want. That is not unique to what the left is doing in the United States. In all of these cultures, this is regarded as an honor or a rite of passage and they do what they can to try to groom the child into seeing it as good and normal. And I'm not suggesting that all of the children end up seeing it good and normal, just as I would never suggest that all of the kids being mutilated in the United States by these groomers see it as good and normal. But I would say a larger percentage of American progressives support child genital mutilation uh, than Muslims do worldwide. I would, I would, I would absolutely take that bet. Absolutely take that bet. I'm being very careful to say that this is a bet because I haven't seen stats on this, but just as a wager. Yeah. I mean, on the left, you're literally not allowed to say that you're against transitioning kids, right? I mean, that gets you labeled a right-wing neo-Nazi. Okay. I certainly haven't met any Muslims in America who have told me that they're in favor of child general mutilation. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any in America who are, and I'm not saying that everyone you meet is going to give you their most unpopular position the day that they meet you. I don't know. Maybe I've met people who are okay with that. I sure hope not, because that's some really sick shit. But on the left, they are very proud of this belief. They call it protecting trans kids, and they will berate you for not celebrating it, for not calling it holy and good and beautiful because that's their religion and their religion is a sentence right now. It's not just the case that we're told we have to accept and tolerate these lifestyle choices. We have to adore them. We have to look up to them. We have to worship them. We have to pay homage to them. We are required as citizens to give full assent to this and to see it as a beautiful thing see it as a beautiful thing. And genuinely, I do think holy is the right word to describe it. They see it as holy, beautiful, wonderful. It it is an act of worship in their mind. And that's because they worship themselves and they see this as self-worship and they're not content worshiping themselves. You have to worship them too. And every single time they see somebody else engaged in these perverse sexual lifestyle choices, what they see is somebody telling them that what they're doing is good and normal. So even that reinforces in their own minds that their moral actions are beyond reproach and that they're good and special and holy and incredible for engaging in these depraved acts. There's really a kind of uh, bizarre deification to it. And I'm calling it bizarre, but it really isn't, right? Human beings want to worship something. It it is built into us. It is built into us. One of the the great modern errors is seeing man as a mere blank slate that anything can be projected onto. It's simply not true. So much... Of what has been manifested in the world socially is a result of innate cognitive structuring and instinct that exists within human nature. Jordan Peterson talks about this constantly with lobsters and the dominance hierarchy, but that's real. That's real. Authority doesn't merely exist, and authority isn't isn't merely some external imposition. It exists inside of us. It is actually part of our DNA for authority to exist. It's part of our DNA to want to look up to something or someone. And what does the word authority mean? Where does it come from? Author, creator. That's the ultimate authority, God. To create something is to have authority over it, right? By definition. This is why, in one of the most straightforward social relationships, we know that parents have authority over their children. They literally made them, okay? Now, the modern person believes that authority is an external imposition and that our morals are merely arbitrary customs that have arisen... Merely as a result of circumstance, and which don't truly map onto what we are as men, as humans. And so, to them, the fact that a parent creates their child, cooperates with God in the creation of that child, does not mean the parent has any authority over that child. Because we as humans just decided that that's what the relationship could be. But we might just as easily decide that the relationship uh, can and should be anything else. This was a huge part of communist thinking in the 20th century and even today, right? That the work of raising children would be outsourced. Parents would not be held accountable for this. The state would raise people's children and you'd have, you know wet nurses uh, and caretakers who would watch over people's children for them all day long. And parents would visit their children when they chose to, but they wouldn't be burdened by their kids if they didn't want to be. And this would be completely normal uh, and healthy and wouldn't stunt anyone's development or lead to deep psychological issues. But, But of course it would and does. And, and we see this. The studies show that kids who are even just left at daycare are less likely to see life outcomes that we associate with success. So there is a way man is meant to live. There are structures man is to adhere to. And what happens is when the left or any subverter attempts to tear those structures down, they cannot eliminate within the human person the desire for structure. And they can't even eliminate that desire within themselves. And so they create a new religion, a new way of seeing the world, a new theology. And their theology has at the center of it self-worship and anti-humanism, which I I think could even be tied together. And by anti-humanism, I don't mean they're like against secular humanism. I mean they are anti-human. They're against man. They see man as... A fundamentally corrupt, troublesome thing that is only valuable insofar as he can be exploited. And that's true with respect to man as a financial unit or a sexual object. And often the way it gets broken up is... You know men are are objects to be exploited for financial reasons women are objects to be exploited for sexual purposes of course in our enlightened culture we see women as uh, being exploitable for both financial and sexual gain and we also are pushing further in the direction of seeing men as more exploitable for uh sexual gain as well with all of this bizarre homosexual perversion and gender transitions that we see in this culture and the normalization of men uh, being acted upon sexually in increasingly degrading and disgusting ways. My point with all of this is to say that the powers that be don't see you as a human person they see you as an economic utility and a sexual object. And my warning to you would be that anytime you watch pornography or have sex outside of marriage or, you know, put the dollar in trying to earn money in front of things that that genuinely matter uh, in life, you're telling them that they're right. You're telling them that you can be controlled you're telling them that you're going to obey. Now with respect to money, I understand that we're in difficult financial times. I get it. Look, I run a business. I have to work a lot. My point is not to shame anybody for needing to put extra hours into, to you know feed their family or uh, achieve a reasonable level of success. It's simply to say that when your vision of life becomes, my goal is to make money and have is, is, much diversity in my sexual encounters is possible, you know, not to just be with one person, but to sleep with as many as as possible, Uh, you're telling the system that it's correct. You're, you're worshiping at the altar of the false gods that have been put before you by the modern state religion. (laughs) And we have people in chat saying, this show is called Shamer. Aren't you supposed to be (laughs) shaming us? You're correct look, I'm going light on you guys today because it's Friday. I'm, tr- I'm trying to express some kind of uh, kindness. I'm trying to express some kind of kindness. And I really, uh, I really want to go easy on you all because I love and care for y'all. But I-, I think a lot of people fail to see just the degree to which the sexual revolution has is totally destroyed the not only relationship between men and women, but like our social structures and our ability to relate even to members of the same sex overall. So notice that this idea that humans are merely reducible to their sexual components becomes something that you see more often in the West and something that actually begins to be taken seriously by intellectuals around the time of the French Revolution. You have the Enlightenment And during the enlightenment period, people began to reject the idea that there was a God. And, you know, ironically enough, a lot of this was done. And I'm not, I'm not saying that this is everything within the the enlightenment or that you're going to find this from all enlightenment thinkers. My point is to say, it's interesting because you have the development of the scientific method, which was only possible under, you know, a metaphysical framework that, is lent to the world by Christianity, or I should say the metaphysical framework that's lent to the world by Christianity, because what Christians believe is that the world is well-ordered. It has a purpose. Things are supposed to operate in a certain way. That includes nature. That includes man. And so if there is... If if there are governing laws over the universe, then you can learn about the universe through observation, and then you can use that knowledge to improve your material circumstances and your spiritual circumstances as well. What ended up happening was people became prideful, and they said, well, we have this scientific method, and it's allowed us to solve problems and build wealth in a way that has been completely out of the question historically. And so what they ended up doing was developing a a kind of hyper-skepticism and I believe this arose out of the degree to which people were able to separate themselves from natural consequences, as a result of the wealth that we amassed from having these these Christian uh, insights and ideals. And so, what happened was we ended take we ended up taking things too far in the direction of examining things based on their mechanisms. There's a lot in nature you can learn about by making observations and then making predictions based on those observations, and studying the outcome of that juxtaposing it to your initial predictions and the scientific method is is a beautiful thing for all those reasons and more but you risk reducing nature to its components and as a result of course you end up reducing man to his components once you go too far down that rabbit hole and Once you have allowed your understanding of the order of the universe to be untangled from the creator who gave it that order in the first place. So you end up essentially being forced to believe that even though there are rules that govern all of nature with respect to our physical laws. It cannot be said that there are any rules that govern man's behavior with respect to the moral law. In other words, you can't see man and say there is a purpose to him. There is a way he ought to behave. All you can do is parse each mechanism that is part of him out, reduce it to its mere function, and fail to examine or I would even say intentionally uh, push against the examination of what the greater purpose of that element of him is. So to, to kind of summarize this particular part, um, there's a quote from Fulton Sheen that I, I think does a great job clarifying what I mean here. It, he said, the, Freudian understands man in terms of sex. The Catholic understands sex in terms of man. This is a very clever and insightful way of putting it. And he was referring to Freud there. I think this could be said of many modern thinkers. But basically, when you reduce man his mere components, there is a sexual component, of course— and what is done is that sexual component is removed from man's nature. We have someone in chat saying, uh, "What about outcomes from actions?" and and uh, this is from Morning More. What about outcomes from actions? This is a, a perfectly uh, this is th- th- this is um, a perfectly good point to make here, right? And you're onto something. Why don't we examine the consequences of the actions? of man. Why don't we look at his behavior and attempt to determine, based on the outcomes of that behavior, which lifestyles are healthier for man? Well, you don't really need the scientific method to do that. It's something that human beings have been doing for all of history. But what ends up happening, invariably, is our moral intuitions surrounding human sexuality uh, end up being borne out by... All of the empirical information available. Yes, sleeping around does result in negative consequences for the individual as well as the person they sleep with. Well, who wants to hear that? And why would you be willing to hear that when, again, you can just reduce man to his mere components and not look at him uh, as a whole? You know, yep, yeah, you know, th- the purpose of a person's sexual anatomy uh, by itself from this framework is simply to give pleasure, subjective pleasure, to the individual agent right it's it's not looked at in the framework of man it's not looked at with respect to its actual purpose and the broader picture which is obviously procreation and just allow me to defend this position here for a moment i think some people hear that and they go what how can you say sex is the purpose of procreation don't people enjoy having sex isn't it important for a married couple to have a, a good sex life where they're enjoying the sex with one another and of course the answer to that question is yes But this is also true of food, right? A person should ideally get pleasure out of eating. You should be eating foods that that taste decent and not stale, flavorless mush. But that said, like the purpose of eating is to fuel your metabolism, right? Food is there so you can eat it and receive nutrition from it and live. You should enjoy eating. There's nothing wrong with enjoying eating. Similarly, right? Sex is there for procreation doesn't mean married couples aren't supposed to enjoy sex, you know, in the same way that when someone eats, they're not sitting there thinking, oh, this is nutritious and I'm fueling my metabolism. (laughs) They're probably just thinking this food tastes good. We still wouldn't want them to act in a way that would reduce the possibility of them receiving the nutrients that that food is supposed to be giving to them by the act of eating it. And I would say the same thing uh, about a married couple who are uh, having sex. Yeah, of course, in the moment, they're not supposed to be or, or generally aren't in the moment sitting there thinking like, "Ah, oh, yes, this is procreation. Um, they're, they're more likely thinking about how much they're enjoying it, but we still wouldn't want them to do anything that would subvert the purpose of that act, which is procreation. What happens is you end up reducing the person that you're with to a mere object. You end up reducing the purpose of sexuality itself from being one of the most profound things a human being can do to express love to another person while also creating new human life, which is just mind-blowingly incredible, and down into this feels good, and that's all that matters. Now, when a person thinks that way, and it's not just with sex, I use sex as an example because it cuts the people's core and because it's so easily to exploit for political reasons. But this is true of sex. This is true of Food, right? This is th- this is true of basically all of the human passions. Like a- everything we as humans have a desire to do uh, has a healthy expression and an unhealthy expression. And the healthy expression is better for any social structure in the long run. But the unhealthy expression makes it very, very easy for powerful people to control you. Because when you constantly take the path of least resistance and you choose what feels good or what's easy over the actual logical purpose of the actions you're supposed to be partaking in, what you say to the authority structure, what you say to the world around you, and what you say to yourself is, I will do what is easy at the expense of truth and at the expense of my own dignity. Now, if you're a tyrant who isn't interested in the long-term well-being of the people over whom you rule, and your primary interest is to control and exploit them, that is exactly how you want your citizens to behave. This is why, as I mentioned earlier, pornography is such an unbelievably powerful tool for people in, in positions of power it's not good for the long-term health and flourishing of your society at all but it keeps people complacent let me ask you something who is the biggest threat to any sitting government what group of people and not just to any government by the way but to this to the uh, sorry but to the stability of any social structure. Who's the biggest threat? The biggest threat to social stability, for better or for worse, and I would say for better and for worse, is young, unmarried men. That is factually true. You look at every war that has been waged to overthrow tyrants. Young unmarried men, sometimes married men. Wars are not only fought by childless men and unmarried men. I understand that. But very often young unmarried men go and fight these wars. When you look at almost all of the violent crime that occurs in any country, young unmarried men, right? This is true cross-culturally and throughout all of history. But hold on a second. Marriage and the family have broken down. And that's going to lead to a lot of unrest among the population that is traditionally the population people are most fearful of with respect to uh, them creating like social unrest and instability. So here's what we've done. All right. We've taken the number one social program for reducing both violent crime and instability from young men, right? And that social program is called marriage. I'm not saying everyone is meant to get married. I'm not saying everyone has to get married. But what I am saying is there should be a realistic pathway to get married for most people. That doesn't exist in this country anymore, unfortunately. Or at the very least, it's far more difficult than it's ever been. So that population of people, young, unmarried men, would be a much bigger threat today than in any other moment in time. And in many ways, that group is. But there's one tool to keep that group of people complacent. Pornography. Because even though an other historical uh, contexts. men would get married much younger and as a result would have to consider their wife and children and restructure their way of thinking towards you know a, a more long-term woman and child oriented timetable and not merely short-term gain. What's happened in our culture is because there's really little opportunity for men to be able to provide for themselves in a family and get married they don't end up finding themselves in a position where they need to consider the long-term and the way that married men do, but they are prevented from revolting, right? They are prevented from shaking up the social structures because they're kept complacent with pornography. Now, the difference is, of course, with pornography... You're not restructuring your brain towards short term sacrifice to achieve long term gain the way people traditionally are when they start families. You're incentivized to only think about short term pleasure. So, not only are you more complacent, you're a much better consumer. It makes you an, an ideal surf, an ideal surf. Because not only are you totally complacent and not only has your, your fighting spirit been completely removed. So you're not causing problems uh, for the oligarchs. And in most cases you're not committing crimes. You know, some of these things are good. You're also not reducing the availability of a single woman in the sexual marketplace, which means more elite people at the top of the quote unquote dominance hierarchy have easier access, right? You have nothing that that, that's, and that's how this is engineered. Now I'm not trying to make you despair because I think there's a way out of all of this, man. You got to turn to God. You got to develop virtue. Got to stop watching porn. I try to be really clear with my audience on this. I know there's a lot of young men who struggle with pornography, but this is what it's doing to you. Everything I just laid out is what pornography does to you. Pornography, every time, every single time you watch pornography, what you are saying to the system is, I consent to the fact that you have limited my ability to own anything. I consent to the fact that you have done everything within your power to reduce my chances at being with a real woman Because you're letting me look at naked women online, right? You are agreeing to that end of the bargain every time you watch porn, every single time. And I'll talk about this, and some young men will get mad at me because they'll go, who are you to judge people for, like, watching porn? You know, they'll see this as an attack on them. And what I'm trying to explain to all the young men out there, right, is that porn is an attack on you. Porn is an attack on our women. I'm not attacking anybody. If you're struggling with a porn addiction, my heart goes out to you. That's horrible. It's a horrible thing to struggle with. There's there's so much shame in that. And all people want to do is make fun of it. right? Whenever any kind of addiction is addressed, there's usually some level of reverence surrounding it. But when a young man says he's struggling with a porn addiction or even a young woman says she's struggling with a porn addiction, they're laughed at. I think that's horrible because porn is such an alienating thing and then we alienate the people who acknowledge that they're struggling with an addiction to it. It's it's heinously isolating. It's heinously isolating. What I'm trying to say here is everything that the culture is promoting with respect to sexual licentiousness, it's bad for you. And I've laid out some of the ways that these things are used to control you. I'm not saying this to give you a black pill or to make you feel like there's no way you can rise above it because you absolutely can. Okay. There are a lot of good young women out there in churches across the country who are struggling to find a husband, okay? I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. There are also a lot of young men struggling to find a wife. But my advice is, if you're a young guy, if you're lonely, if you're struggling, uh, if you believe that you have a vocation to marriage, which maybe you don't, but if you don't want to give a sense to this, if you, if you don't want to continue to agree to have everything taken from you, find a good church, see if you can find a good Catholic church in your area. If you're not, you know, Catholic, talk to the priest about it. He'd be more than happy to chat with you. Even, even just to hang out with other good young people. Like there are people who hang out with some of my friends at our church who aren't Catholic and we're not like, ah, get away. Like we're, we're cool with them. So you got to find other people with good values. And I know that that's really difficult. But the first step towards doing that is, is speaking out about what you actually believe and not being afraid of the repercussions for that. John Lennon did not say many wise things. He really didn't. But one thing he said, which I will always quote, is that you got to tell the truth because you won't always make friends, but you will always make the right ones. Dark Dre says, what if you're an atheist? So my, my advice to an atheist would, would be pretty similar right? If you're an atheist, but you understand that what the culture is selling you is garbage, go make some religious friends, right? And I'm talking about people who like really actually believe. Find a good church, really. Like I said, with my with my friend group at, at my church, there are people who are not Catholic who will come hang out with us. We love them. They're on, the, you know, we don't agree on everything, but they're on the same page with us on a lot of things. And yeah, we would consider them a part of our community. So know that you're welcome, right? Don't, don't feel like, well, I'm not a believer, so I could never fit in with church people. Just go talk to them. See how it goes. The bottom line is you've been sold a bad bill of goods. And every act of fornication and every moment you spend consuming pornographic content uh, or lusting after women is a moment that you are spending consenting to that system. There's a wonderful book written by George Gilder called Men in Marriage, and he makes an excellent point, right? He says that a man is not really free if someone can take his wife from him, right? Like there's no stake in the future, he's referring to the sexual revolution and the fact that no-fault divorce has has been legalized, right? Imagine, imagine just for a moment that you could buy a house and you could spend years paying the mortgage on that house. You could move your family into that house. You could raise them in that house. And then your boss, your employer could come around and say, you know what, I want that house and take it from you giving you nothing in return without you having anything to show for it. We would not consider that a free country. We would consider that unbearable oppression. And yet, something much worse happens to people every day in this country. Another man comes along and steals their wife, or another woman comes along and steals her husband. And there's no legal recourse or protection for them. And what I'm saying is, we should value marriage at least as much as we value property. Okay? And you don't have to be married to say that in the same way that you don't have to own property to believe in property ownership. It's an important thing to protect if you want the society you live in to flourish. As it currently stands, that's not the case. I'll end with this before we go to our, our Q&A stream, which, by the way, if you guys want to hit that red join button and join our locals community, I'm going to be doing a QA and a in a few minutes here, and uh, you guys will be able to watch me answer questions from the audience, possibly ask some questions yourself. It's totally free. Uh, only paying members are going to be able to ask questions, but you don't have to be a paying member to watch it. You just have to hit the red join button and go over to the, the locals community. Before before I I uh, put my final thoughts on this, um, I just want to see what some of y'all in the chat are saying. Um, Afro Nasty Two Thousand said, "Good for evil, simple as that." Cater Gator Catherine says, "Sexual freedom is really just slavery to lust. The elites have tricked people into confusing licentiousness with freedom." Amen. This is why Augustine said, "A man has as many masters as he does vices." You you are not a free person if you're incapable of doing something that you don't want to do, right? Like you are actually enslaved by your passions. And people who are enslaved by their passions are extremely easy for the political elite to control. In the same way that someone being, I'll put it this way, okay? The person who is addicted to drugs is a slave to whoever can supply that drug to them. Right. A person who is addicted to indulging certain illicit passions becomes a slave to whoever the gatekeeper for them having you know, access to an outlet for that passion is, or uh, to whoever is able to hold that addiction over their head. Uh, Lucy Lemonbug said, "Bro, we synced up. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, they're quoting the Freedom Tunes video I just published the other day." Um, Mary says, "If you're getting ready for college, consider a good Catholic college, uh, a good Catholic a Catholic college, or a good Catholic college like Christendom." Absolutely, um, most Catholic colleges are not good. Right? I'll be the first to tell you that most of them are really bad. Um, Dark Dre says proposal abolish child support. It will disincentivize women from getting divorced. Uh, they still can, it will just be more painful. I wouldn't, so here's the thing I, I wouldn't want to abolish child support, but I do think there needs to be a massive restructuring in divorce law. One idea that I've heard, which I really like, is that whoever chooses to leave has to forfeit basically all like finances. That's a little tricky because someone might be leaving because of abuse or something like that. But overall, I, th- I think that there has to be a very serious, uh, very serious reform to divorce law. <laughs> Smiley Miley said, "Seamus, will you cover up the cabinets for the Q and A?" So last Q and A, there were some cabinets behind me that I threw a towel over midstream because I didn't want people to know what kind of cabinets they were because I assume someone can dox me based on my cabinets. You know, if they could find Shia LaBeouf, like, the, yeah, <laughs> to find me um um morning more says it would be very difficult to establish through a legal uh mechanism what fault would be in divorce even now it's messy look i agree so, so here's the thing this is how no fault divorce got through in the united states what happened was when you had to establish fault People who wanted to get out of a marriage for the same reasons people want to today. They didn't like this person anymore. They want to have sex with somebody else. The marriage is difficult, not necessarily reasons of abuse, right? Obviously, you have those circumstances. But you had people who wanted to leave marriages for just those standard reasons that we hear all the time today. But because they didn't have any cause, they would falsely accuse their spouse of abuse, so that they could get out of the marriage. This is part of why Ronald Reagan was the guy to prove no fault divorce, because that's how his first marriage ended. According to his side of the story, his first wife just didn't want to be with him. So she made up a bunch of nonsense and dragged his name through the mud to get out of the marriage. And the whole idea was, We're going to prevent people from having to do that. Divorce is an ugly reality. It happens sometimes, and when it happens, it's better if no one has to be falsely accused of a crime. Okay, well, every single time we have social progress, or the left further denigrates traditional values, the way they do so is by saying, this bad thing that we of course agree is bad happens all the time. All we're trying to do is give it a legal outlet so that it's less destructive when it does happen. Well, of course, what always ends up happening is you don't merely give a phenomenon which is already occurring an outlet. You actually increase the frequency with which it happens. We see this anytime time they legalize anything, whether it's abortion, right? Whether it's no-fault divorce, whether it's drugs, It never just ends up being the case that people who are already doing this thing now have an outlet to do it in a safe way. More people just end up doing that thing overall. And any potential upside we could theoretically argue may have arisen from some number of people being able to do what they were always doing, but in a more safe way, is totally offset by all the social problems that are caused by the increase in this bad behavior. Dark Dre said, hey, Seamus, I don't agree with many of your philosophical views, but I still love you. Keep doing your best. Ah, oh, thank you. And I, I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you watching. I really do appreciate you watching. Um, and Mueller1103 uh, says, love when Seamus is on ShimCast. I love doing ShimCast, man. It's, uh, you know, it's nice of Tim to co-host that with me. I'm just gonna go over a couple eagle chats. Uh, eagle chats. Wow, super uh, rumble rants. What? I was gonna. So first, they're called rumble rants, but I was gonna call them super chats. And someone chatted in, and their name was Devoured Eagle. So I combined eagle and super chat, and I said eagle chat. It's, it's it's a super chat, but it's not even a super chat. It's a rumble rant. So I was wrong in like three different ways. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, $1 from devoured Eagle. Oh no. Ouchie. Wah-wah. I can't donate today. I think I'm having menses men have periods too. Oh man. Thank you for your dollar. And I really am glad that you enjoyed that cartoon. I'm really glad that you enjoyed that cartoon. Um, Seamus had the best description of you did bad thing. Thank you. You guys are too sweet. Um, Lucille, uh, Is this, oh no, this is Lucy Lemonbug says in my marriage, my husband and I made a rule where we never mention divorce ever. Not an option. Good for you. Good for you. Look, I'm not a married person, but the idea that a married person would mention divorce is kind of crazy. Like that defeats the purpose. That's like mentioning adultery. (laughs) Like I'm going to threaten to cheat on my spouse. What are you out of your mind? Um, What is bad behavior or morals re he want bad thing? Um, Dark Die said, I appreciate you reading my chats. I literally watch Timcast every day, so it's surreal. Fanboy. Oh, thank you, Dark Dye. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate you tuning in. I really do appreciate you tuning in. So we talked about this on Timcast a little bit yesterday. And I want to use this as a jumping off point to wrap my thoughts up on sexual impropriety and immorality and where it is leading us up. Um, We're talking about the fact that uh, Kim Petrus was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, for those of you who do not know, Kim Petrus is a man who has had numerous surgical interventions so that they could appear as a woman. They're a pop singer, and they're quite popular. And they were recently featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated's Swimsuit Edition. Needless to say, this is disgusting. The question is why. Because conservatives are good at pointing out when something is disgusting. What conservatives are bad at is explaining why it's disgusting, because conservatives have actually lost their fundamental values. Many on the right saw this swimsuit edition with a man pretending to be a woman on the cover, and their response was, return to tradition. We want half-naked women on magazine covers. Naked men aren't supposed to have fake breasts hanging out on magazine covers. But I really want to help the conservative movement remember and return to an understanding of, because this is something conservatives used to understand. It's that this kind of perversion, a man with fake breasts on the cover of a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition is actually the inevitable result of having nearly naked women on the covers of magazines for decades, okay? Because naked women are not supposed to be on the covers of magazines either. But no one seems to care about violations of the natural law when that violation arouses them. What we have spent decades doing to women is degrading. It's wrong, okay? It reduces them to their components, and it reduces them to their Sexual components, the things about them that men find appealing. The crime of pornography, in the words of Carol Wojtyla, is not that it shows too much of a person. It's that it shows too little of a person. And when, when a, a woman is defined by sex appeal and things that we consider sexually appealing, and then those things can be surgically implanted onto a man, in the grand cultural vision, he becomes just as much Of a woman to us as women are. Because that's all we value women on the basis of anymore. So all this is the next step. It's the next progression in our system of thought. And it's the logical outcome of the philosophy that we as a culture read. And we do read philosophy. You might not think that modern man consumes philosophy. But he does. Of course he does. But his Aquinas or Aristotle, or Augustine, is Playboy, or Pornhub, or OnlyFans. And what that philosophy teaches him is that humans are not people. They don't have dignity. They're things to be used sexually. Did we think this was going to stop with women? Did we want this to stop with women? Rather than having desire to roll this back. This is something I want to ask to every conservative man Complaining about men being depicted in these unnatural, degrading ways on the covers of magazines. Why didn't you care when it was being done to women? Why did you not care about the social-wide sexual degeneracy and degradation that was being forced upon your sisters and mothers and girlfriends and wives? A man in a bra with fake breasts giving you a pornographic stare on the cover of a magazine should make you uncomfortable. That is disgusting. It does go an extra step in violating the natural law compared to a nude woman or nearly nude woman on the cover of a magazine does. I fully acknowledge that. But if you're disgusted by that, remember where it started, okay? Because Kim Petrus being on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition wasn't step one. It wasn't even step two or so on. All right? This is not the logical conclusion because they're not finished yet, but it is one of the logical outcomes of the widespread sexual degeneracy that so many conservatives have been doing nothing to push back against because it was giving them more opportunities to see naked women easily. Okay? And we're not going to solve this problem. We're not going to solve this gender confusion or this degeneracy. We're not going to cure this disease until every man cries out in a loud voice, no more porn. No more scantily clad women on magazine covers. Sex is no longer for sale. Because when we sell these intimate parts of ourselves or we allow them to be used to sell us products, we forget who we are. And we are just beginning To see the horror show that comes from that forgetfulness. There are things far worse than any of us have predicted, which are to come if we don't start pushing back. And that doesn't just mean pushing back against transgenderism, because transgenderism, sick as it is, is not the root. All right, the root is sexual liberation. All of it has to be rolled back or none of it is going to be. Ah, I love you guys. I want to thank you so much for watching. And if you want to join our stream, hold on a second, hold on a second before I go. People are saying that these are are first world problems, first world issues. Um, I'm not sure if this is in reference to me talking about like the complete subversion of sexual morality. And in some sense that like is a first world issue in the sense that it's happening primarily in the first world right now, but believe me, it will turn our country into a third world country given enough time. Yeah, this is very serious. This is very serious. All right. I want to thank you all for watching. Please like subscribe. uh, And in about, I would say five minutes over on my locals uh, community, we're going to be having a live stream. And in that live stream, you wonderful people will be able to ask me questions I'll give you answers, AMA, about anything. We don't just talk politics. Uh, We don't just talk religion. We talk film, movies, television shows. So if you're a fan of me, if you're a fan of my work, if you're a fan of Shamcaster, you just liked hearing what I had to say today, consider hitting that red join button because it's totally free, and you will get access to the fan Q&A where we're just going to talk about all sorts of uh, fun and interesting things. So thank you all for watching. God bless you. Have a a wonderful day. And I'll either see you in a few minutes in the Locals community or I will see you Tuesday next time we stream. on hold on hold on hold on i'm back right now because i see you dirty dogs i see you dirty dogs in chat and i saw mary say we're talking about Seamus's favorite movie titanic and this is because last stream i think one of the last q a's i ranted and raved about how angry i was about the film titanic okay i'm sorry i'll see you guys over in the locals community soon and maybe i'll have to rant about titanic again probably not <laughs>